this morning. Brother Marshall, would you pray for us? And thank you. you. May be seated unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. Okay. Well, amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you with us. A few things from the bulletin as we start. Uh, first of all, results from our teen fundraiser. Uh, we appreciate your generosity. They raised almost $1,600 last week. And so that'll be a great help for them as they get ready to head to camp. Uh, Head to camp this coming year, okay, not next week or anything. But uh, that'll be a blessing. We'll have a few more uh, activities uh, scheduled into the first part of the year uh, to continue to help them with that. Uh, next week is we're going to acknowledge Veterans Day. We're going to have Brother Kuhn with us. He's been here the last several years and uh, looking forward to having him. We'll acknowledge our veterans in the morning service. So I uh, encourage them to be here. Uh, also then, uh, on the 14th, we'll be having a senior saint luncheon and I received this great information about it and we received this after he had already, uh, printed the bulletins reason it's not in there. It said the homeschool co-op, uh, would love to invite the senior saints to a Thanksgiving time luncheon with us on the 14th at 1130. We decided to do something a little different since sometimes we end up with multiple Thanksgiving dinners. So we're going to do a Thanksgiving luau. I know, kids these days. Pull out your floral shirts, uh, put us on your calendar, and get ready for some good food and fellowship. All right? So uh, senior saints, I encourage you to come. It's going to be a great time. You say, well, uh, how old am I to be a senior saint? You know, it kind of varies everywhere you go. Uh, what do you say, Miss Alice, 50 and up? All right, sounds great. Uh, so uh, we'd encourage you to come. We'll have a great time of fellowship and look forward to that. Uh, youth rally is coming up on the 18th. They'll be leaving church at 6. They hope to be back around 10. Uh, Lord's Supper will, uh, as a church, acknowledge the Lord's Supper on November 22nd at 7. That's Tuesday evening and encourage all members to be here. We will not have uh, evening service on Wednesday and then offices are closed through the remainder uh, of the week, and we'll meet again on Sunday. Uh, Christmas missions offering. We always take a uh, offering the first week of December uh, to share with our missionaries for Christmas. And uh, because they are on the field, they don't have the opportunity to work overtime, pick up ob jo ob jobs, and things like that. And so December 4th is when we kind of like to set that as a target date to collect that money. And so uh, you can think, be thinking about that and praying about that. On the offering envelope, on the one side there, it says others. You just write in Christmas missions offering and uh, give that way. This way we can be an extra blessing to our missionaries uh, sent out of our church. And so if you can help that way, be a blessing. Uh, Christmas program, I, I, last week I really blew it. I think I said it was the 13th. It's going to be the 11th, okay? Uh, the choir's presenting The Word Became Flesh on December 11th in the morning service. And uh, I want to encourage you to invite your friends, wonderful 
uh, songs and uh, scripture will be brought forth that day. Looking forward uh, to it. The choir always does a great job and uh, looking forward to having them as a part of our morning service. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. God bless you for being here. Good to have Miss Pat back. She's sick for uh, like a month now. And uh, if you get that bronchitis this time, it goes anywhere from two to four weeks. Uh, and so, um, you know, be praying for one another as we enter into the cold and flu season and uh, pray for one another as we're always seems like in the COVID season. Uh, but uh, we just need to pray for one another. That's the truth of it. Pray for the elections coming up, okay, on Tuesday. And uh, someone said, uh, sent me a meme that said, uh, we set our clocks back on on Saturday night, and on Tuesday, maybe we can set the direction of our country. And so uh, whether you vote or you don't, either way, we're setting the direction of our country, right? And so I uh, encourage you to get out and take advantage of that. Go ahead and have Brother Foster come with another song, then we'll get to our Sunday school time. Lord bless you for being here. And singing hymn number 224, There Shall Be Showers of Blessing. We'll sing the first and the last verses. Today we're going to try and finish up lesson number four. I think we have a few more handouts if you need one. You can raise your hand. We'll probably finish that and get into lesson number five. So I have both of those printouts. So if you need four, maybe hold up four. If you need five, hold up your other hand with five. All right. We'll see how the Lord leads, but I don't believe we'll be in lesson number four very long this morning. All right, lesson number four, the text is Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. I'll wait a few moments as we're still getting lessons around. Any more fours? All right, there's a four over here. All right. All right, while you're waiting on that, we'll get into lesson number four here. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, this, uh, this lesson's talking about give and it shall be given. So these are things in the Bible that go contrary to our way of thinking. 
That's what the series is. It's not what you think. And God certainly has a higher way of thinking than our way of thinking. And we need to make sure that we are conforming ourselves to His way of thinking and the way that we live our lives. So, Lesson 4 deals with the topic of give and it shall be given, uh, which is totally opposite of what we think. We would rather uh, try to gain as much as we can and hold on to those things as what we see in our society, but that's not what God would have for us. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 says this, Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So we have the great example in God Himself and, and this area of thought, given it shall be given. God is the great giver, and we understood that in a few things that we looked at last week. First of all, we understand that He the, the character of God is this: that He gives salvation. He gives security. I'll try to go slow for those of you trying to catch up, all right? Let me go back. I'm not good at slowing down, all right? Step one here is the givers understand the character of God. So we must understand the character of God if we're going to have the right mindset of give and it shall be given. So under that, we have what He gives. The first thing that He gives is salvation, the ultimate gift of giving is that of salvation. God giving of His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest gift of all. And I'm so thankful for this time of year that we're going into where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. God giving of His Son. That He might come to this earth, dwell among us, and then we know that He goes to the cross and He dies for the sins of all mankind. So He gives us salvation. Next, He gives us security. He gives us security. And I'm thankful that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are secure in Him for all of eternity. He holds the salvation in His hands. It's not up to us to keep that salvation, but we understood from the Scriptures that we read that God is keeping that. He's holding it. And He's sealed it with the Holy Spirit of promise within us. So he's, we understand the security then and this gift that He's given. And then we saw the sustenance. And he sustains us. He supplies our needs. And He cares for His own. As His children, He wants to take care of us just as any good parent would want to take care of their children. God is a great giver in giving us and supplying us with what we need. And then lastly, under that point, is He gives satisfaction. And anyone that's been saved for any length of time could testify the fact that God is certainly, and following Him is certainly a satisfying life. And He does, desires to give us a life and life more abundantly, the Bible tells us. Uh, so we understand that He is a great giver of these uh, four areas of salvation, security, sustenance, and satisfaction. So as we understand God is a giver, then we in turn must be giving of ourselves. So that brought us to point number two. Givers obey the command of God. So we have the Word of God that He has preserved for us, that He has placed in our hands that we might know what He expects of us, what He wants us to do in our lives. So as we have this in our hands, we have a great responsibility now to obey it and to follow it. God has given us His clear commands for us to obey. So givers obey the command of God, and we see under this that obedience to God's command is contingent on my love. So the, the direct measure of, of my love for God is my obedience to what He commands. If I love God in the way that I should, then I will want to please Him. And I will want to do the things that He's commanded in His Word for me to do. 
Secondly, under that point, we see that obedience to God's command is contingent on my look. That means that my focus and my heart and my mind all must be in the right direction, and that is that I am seeking to follow and to please God in all that I do. All right, so that brings us to where we left off. Point number three. That is, givers trust the care of God. Givers trust the care of God. So as, if we're going to, if we understand the character of God, that He's a giving God, and that we have a desire then uh, to obey Him and the commands that He's given us, then we must certainly trust Him with our lives. Trust the care of God. Giving is not only an act of obedience, it is also an expression of trust in God. The world finds their security in all sorts of things today. And they're finding those things aren't as secure as they once were. It could be things such as their finances uh, or the, the political realm. All those things, there's no security in those, but we understand our security needs to come from Jesus Christ Himself. He knows that we have a natural attachment to money because of what it can get us. And when we give, we prioritize God over our needs and take His word by faith that He will take care of us. So we're, we're letting go of that fleshly desire to hold on to that money or to do what we want with that money and giving it to Him as He commands. So we put our trust in His person and not our pocket to supply our needs. And many in here have been saved for years, and hopefully this would be your testimony that you know that God has been faithful in your life. As you've been faithful to give to Him, He's supplied your needs. I know that I can testify of that. As I've been faithful to give to God, He has certainly supplied for my needs. And He's provided over and over and over again. So notice that the certainty of God's provision follows the command to give. Our text in Luke 6.38 does not say, Give and it might be given unto you. It says, Give and it shall be given unto you. So when we give, we can have the confidence that God will reward our giving. He may not always reward it monetarily, but He does always reward it. When we think of investments, we want to try and, with our money, we try and find the best investment we can that will give us the greatest return. But might I add here that there's no greater investment than investing in the things of God and understanding that God will take care of you according to what He has told us in His Word. So notice a few specific words that God uses in Luke 6.38 that shows us and tells us of the promises that He, he gives us here. The word good in this text it has the idea of being advantageous. In other words, the result of your giving will benefit you. It will have good results. The phrase pressed down and shaken together gives the picture of pressing and shaking to get more volume into the container. Have you ever tried to get some food or something into a container and you, you have to shake it up a bit and try to get more in there? That's what God's doing when He's wanting to pour out His blessings upon you. He wants to shake you up a little bit so He can get more of His blessings on you or in you. The phrase running over means to overflow. Overflow can be a bad thing or it can be a good thing. Depending on where it takes place. An overflowing sink is inconvenient. Overflowing blessings are desirable. The word bosom paints a picture of someone at a market having a grain measured out into a garment that would be suspended between their arms. And someone else is pouring out uh, that grain into that garment. He would then use that garment to carry the grain home. 
So Jesus made it clear here in this text, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20.35 says this, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So those of us that would take on uh, this command of God and faithfully give, we do it because we know that we can trust the promises of God. We must be in a place where we trust the Word of God and we trust God to faithfully fulfill what He has promised. Of course, the abundant rewards God promises to our giving are not always monetary. For instance, the Apostle Paul said he specifically endured times of need, but he also testified that God always eventually provided for his needs. And he encouraged the generous Christians of Philippi that they too could depend on the promises of God to meet their needs. Philippians 4.19 gives us the promise, But my God shall supply all your need. Does it say according to our will? No. It says according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In fact, two of the great promises in Scripture regarding God meet, meeting our needs come right after the verses about giving. We have just mentioned Philippians 4.19, but also look at Matthew 6. The following verses show the amazing care of God to see and provide for each of our needs. They follow, however, a verse that we have already looked at with the admonition to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25. He says here, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature, and by taking and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall you eat, or what shall ye drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we see here that this is a contingent promise, as many of the promises are. We have something that we must do. And we must obey a command. And the command here for God to supply our needs is this that we would seek first the kingdom of God. But not only seeking first the kingdom of God, but also His righteousness. So we're seeking to live for Him. We're seeking to honor Him and to please Him with our lives by living a holy and righteous life. And as we do that, God will pour out and uh, be faithful to grant these promises that He's given here in Matthew chapter 6. So God knows our needs before we do. Aren't you thankful for that? When we meet a need and we meet something that uh, seems bigger than we can take care of, uh, we may face it with fear or with worry, but we can trust in God knowing that He already knows what we need. 
And He's already preparing to meet that need if we are faithful to do what He's commanded. So, the God who feeds the birds and clothes the grass is the same God who will take care of us, who are far more precious in His sight. God promises that my giving to Him and others will result in His giving coming back my way. And He gives back way more than we could ever give to Him. We had a history fair here Friday night with the homeschooling kids, and they all were uh, different people that um, they did a little bio- biography about and um, gave explanation about their life. And I didn't know this correlation was going to be there, but Caleb picked Hudson Taylor, and I have a story about him today as well. And he told of this story in his, in his uh, biography of him. And it, the story is, speaks to God's provision and how God knows already in advance what you need. As a young man, Hudson Taylor knew that if he wanted to be a successful missionary in a foreign field, he would have to learn to fully depend on God through prayer. During his time in medical school in London, he worked as an assistant to Dr. Hardy, a busy man who told Taylor to remind him when his pay was due. Taylor committed this to prayer, believing that God could remind Dr. Hardy to pay him his salary and that this would build his faith in prayer. One day, Taylor's salary was due, and he was left with only a half crown by the end of the week. He said nothing to Dr. Hardy, but prayed instead. That Sunday evening found Taylor, as it did every Sunday evening, visiting homes in the London slums to share the gospel. A poor man approached him and asked if he could visit his dying wife and pray for her. Taylor found the man's wife lying in a room surrounded by hungry children with a hungry 36 our old baby wailing by her side. Moved by the scene of poverty, Taylor thought he would gladly give them a shilling and a half, if only his half crown was not a single coin. Taylor told them that their Heavenly Father would provide for them and prayed for them. But his conscience troubled him. He could not bring himself to pray for them and withhold his money, even though it was the last coin he owned. You see what a terrible state we are in, sir. If you can help us, for God's sake, do. The poor man said, recalling Jesus' words, Give to him that asketh thee. Taylor reached into his pocket and gave them his half crown to buy medicine and food. Taylor was broke, but his heart was filled with joy. The next morning, Taylor found an envelope in the mail. It had no letter or name of the sender and contained a pair of new kid gloves and a half-sovereign coin. This was worth five times the amount he had given away. Taylor knew that God had outgiven his gift. And might I add that God had that gift sent prior to Taylor knowing the need that he had. So as we consider this, given it shall be given. How are we doing with giving? Not only monetarily, but of ourselves and of our talents and of our time to the Lord. Do you hold back hesitantly? Or do you give generously, trusting that God will provide? The world tells us that no gain, that to gain, but that we need to get and then hoard. God says to gain, we need to give. This paradox is mentioned in Proverbs 11.24. The liberal or generous giver grows in wealth and blessings while the miser suffers loss and poverty. Proverbs 11.24, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. 
So we are given this life as an opportunity. We have an opportunity to either invest in this life or to invest in eternity. And unlike the stock market where returns are uncertain, we know this, that God has promised returns on our giving. When we honor His command to give, He honors our obedience by giving us beyond what we give. And when we consider all that God has done for us, we will, like the psalmist says, ask in gratitude, what shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? So we must consider, is my life summarized by that of giving? Giving of my time, my talents, all that I have to the Lord. Understanding that this is His will, and this is His way, and this is His desire for my life. And when I do so, we understand the promises of God that He will pour out His blessings upon us, how He sees fit. All right, that brings us to lesson number five. Lesson number five. This is the greatest is the servant. It goes right in, right in line with this and following up with what we just talked about. That we must, to, to accomplish a giving spirit, we must have a servant's heart. So the greatest is the servant. And if you would turn to Mark chapter 10, we'll find our text here. As Christ Himself is going to, to show His purpose and His will and His way for us as He is teaching His disciples this very important lesson in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto Him, saying, Master, we would that Thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, And with the baptism that I am baptized with all, shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Again, Jesus Christ is going to set the example for us. In this area, that the greatest is the servant. Understanding that Jesus Christ Himself came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. When we consider greatness in this life, uh, and in our society, we often think of people with power, or people with a position, or people that have popularity. We may think of social media influencers, influencers this day. Maybe not this crowd, but I guarantee you the younger crowd is looking at some of that. And they are influenced by those. They're looking at someone because of their popularity and 
The world uses that, and marketing uses that. If there's something that they want to sell, what do they do? They grab someone who's a hero in the eyes of others or popular in the eyes of society, and they use that to, to sell their products. So we understand this, this realm of thinking of greatness in our world today. But our text finds Jesus' disciples seeking personal ambition and glory. Thinking that Christ was going to establish an earthly kingdom, James and John ask if Jesus could share the limelight by sitting at the left and the right sides of Christ alone. I'm trying to understand what would bring them to this point to want to ask that question. I don't fully understand the situation and what was going on, but for me that would be a hard thing to ask. Um, But they did, nonetheless. They asked the question. They sought preeminence and wanted to secure chief positions for themselves. And Maybe it was driven out of their love for the Lord. I don't know what their heart was in this. Maybe they just wanted to be close to Him. But Jesus responded by telling them that their request was not His to give. But at the will of His Father, James and John's quest for special privilege got the other disciples angry, as, as you can imagine, it would, as Two are asking to be elevated and the others are left behind. That doesn't go well in any, any realm of, of relationships. So if top honor was to be given, they wanted it for themselves as well. Most of us would have reacted the same way because we too tend to desire greatness. And we too tend to define it in similar terms as the disciples. And that is by position and popularity. Jesus dealt with a core problem the disciples had, and all of us have, and that is self-centeredness. He did this by pointing out the world's mistaken idea of greatness and teaching them that His view of greatness is the opposite of ours. In 11 and 12 here of Matthew 23, it says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself, shall be exalted. So Jesus confronted, as he often has to, an incorrect view that the one who has the servants and maids is the one who is great. He reprimanded the disciples for acting uh, like the rulers of the Gentiles who lorded over their subjects. True greatness, Jesus explains, is this. It lies in servanthood. The greatest man is the humblest servant. One author said this, The great leaders of men in all fields have not been the arrogant and the greedy, but the servants. The real servants are the, truly, are the true nobility. The greatest of all, the Son of God Himself, declared that He had come to, not to be served, but to be a servant, and to give His life a ransom for many. Our sinful, selfish nature causes us to want our way. We want things done our way, and we want uh, to accomplish things the way we want to accomplish them, and we want to make sure people uh, give us the praise and honor that we feel we deserve. We want others to serve us. We want to feel self-important. But if we are going to be great in the way Jesus defines greatness, and if we will make an impact on others as Christ would enable us to do, then this is the key, that we must learn to serve. A truly humble man is hard to find, yet God delights to honor such selfless people. A story is told of Booker T. Washington, the renowned black educator. He was an outstanding example of this truth. Shortly after he took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, 
He was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he was finished, he carried the logs into the house and stacked them by the fireplace. A little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute and apologized profusely. He said, it's perfectly all right, madam. He replied, occasionally I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long afterwards, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. And we see this in our society that often, well, our society feels they're entitled to everything. Uh, That's the biggest issue here. Uh, but understand that there's no task that should be below us, uh, especially in the realm of Christendom and in the realm of serving here at Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple. There's nothing that should, we should deem below us. We should be willing to take up any task that the Lord would have us to do. And this was the heart of Booker T. Washington. He was willing to do and, and, and help others and be a servant. So the path to greatness of a servant can be reached through a series of four counterintuitive steps that we're going to look at in this series or in this lesson. So what are these four steps? If we're going to achieve servanthood, what must we do? Step one is to make an individual choice. I have to make a decision. What type of person am I going to be? Now, if you leave this up to your flesh, uh, I can pretty much tell you what type of person you're going to be. You're going to be self-centered and self-serving. So we must make a choice as Christians who want to live under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God and, and the Word of God that we have before us. I have to make a decision that I'm going to live according to the way God wants me to live. So it starts with this choice. Since serving others does not come naturally, we have to choose this identity. There's a lot about identity being discussed today, isn't there? And God has determined our gender identity. Thank God for that. Amen. But as far as our Christian identity, God has something for us to conform to, and that is the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. So we have to choose... When we have a decision to choose identity, choose the identity of Christ. He wants us to mirror Jesus Christ and and the way that He lived. So it is a personal decision and an individual choice. Verse 43 of our text says, Whosoever will, and verse 44 says, Whosoever of you will. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. So the use of the word will implies that we need to make a choice. When Jesus came to the earth, He did so voluntarily. He did not have to, but He chose to. Despite knowing that the hour of His death was near, He chose to continue serving His disciples and demonstrate His love for them by washing their feet. Let's look at John chapter 13 and verse number 1. Now, as we consider that thought that Jesus Christ had a choice whether to come and die for you and for me, that should humble us. It should humble us to the point that we are willing then to serve Him. 
John chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. So we see here the demonstration that Jesus Christ, because of His love for us, is willing to serve us. And here He was willing to serve His disciples in this way. And as we would consider, this is the most humblest way to serve, is to wash someone's feet. As a young boy, Dr. Henry A. Ironside helped with his widowed mother who worked for a Christian cobbler. This cobbler plastered sheets of Bible verses all over the walls of his little shop so that his customers could see and read the Word of God. And I'm thankful for the companies that still do that today. There are a few of them out there. That, uh, I can think of some um, fast food restaurants. There are a few that have verses on them, in and out being one of them. Uh, you can see them on their cups. I don't know if um, Chick-fil-A still does it or not. I think they used to, but I haven't seen it lately, unfortunately. But we need to applaud those companies that still try to lift the Word of God. So this Christian cobbler did so in his company. Young Ironside's job was to pound water out of the soles of the cobbler's, of the cobbler had soaked, the, the soles of the shoes. He pounded until they were hard and dry and would then nail them onto the shoes. The process was tedious and time-consuming, and Ironside wished for an easier method. On his way home, he came across a cobbler who fastened the wet soles on the shoes without hammering out the water. The cobbler's reason for this was the customer's Come back quicker this way. <laughs> I think that's the way a lot of our companies operate today. <laughs> they design it to break, so you have to come back. Ironside told his boss about this faster method. But his Christian employer took out his Bible and read, Whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God. He went on to say, Hammering might be tiresome work. But I will not allow anything to go out of my shop that isn't well done. God has shown me how to cobble shoes, and I want to do it to glorify Him. When I stand at His judgment seat one day, I expect Him to inspect each pair of shoes that I have worked on. And I want to hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, when we read that portion of Scripture, we often think it's dealing with the uh, spiritual realm that we might be faithful to the Lord, but understand that in the task that God gives us to do, even in our job, he's, he's asking us that we might glorify Him and please Him by doing the very best that we can. So in this, this Christian cobbler understood this principle and he applied it to his work ethic. And might I add that we must do the same. We must apply this uh, to our lives in every area that we would be found pleasing to God in all that we do. No one can decide for you to be a servant. There may be authorities over you which can tell you what to do, but compliance to instruction does not make you a servant. We only become servants when we choose of our own volition to humble ourselves and willingly serve others. 
Whosoever of you will, the choice is yours. So we see this, the attitude that we must have. We see it as we're raising children. You can make them do their chores, but there's a difference when they do the chores without you asking, and they do it because they want to please you. They do it out of a right heart. And God's wanting that same heart in all that we do, that we would be acting in such a way that we want to please Him with our lives and we're doing it with the right attitude. And that attitude is derived by a right love for Him. So as we love Him properly, we want to serve Him with our lives and we want to please Him in all that we do. So everything we do, we put our hands to it and we do the very best that we can that when we stand before Him, we will be able to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I gave you many things to do on this earth, and you were faithful to do them, to my honor and to my glory. We'll stop there today, and we'll pick it up again in a couple weeks after we have Brother Kuhn next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for your word and uh, its clarity to us. And I pray that you would, as you've made these principles and these promises clear to us, that we'd be faithful to live them and obey them in our lives, understanding that your blessings will follow. And Father... I just pray that we would serve you out of a heart of love. And I pray that our heart's desire would be that. And Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts and teach us what you have for us and that we would determine that the will for our life is to follow you. As we have given us a free will, I pray that we would determine and make that decision to follow you and to serve you. Father, I pray now for the service to follow. Speak again to our hearts and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.